Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. Today on the PCOS Diva podcast, we will be talking to Dr. Anna Kabeka. She's a triple board certified and a fellow of gynecology and obstetrics, integrative medicine, and anti-aging and regenerative medicine. She has special certifications in functional medicine, sexual health, and bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And she really is a perfect person to talk to about diet for PCOS. So I'm just so happy to have you, Dr. Anna, on the PCOS Diva podcast. It is a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm a huge fan. I read your book, The Hormone Fix, several years ago. Um, And now you have a brand new book out called Keto Green 16. It kind of uh, picks up where the hormone fix left off with your really um, innovative way of eating for hormone balance. And I'm really excited to kind of dig into that today. Me too. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. (laughs) So, you know, being an OBGYN, uh, I'm sure you've treated lots of women with PCOS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at all different stages of PCOS. And, you know, for women listening that are struggling with perimenopause and menopause, um, that is who you directed your Hormone Fix book to. And I, I really recommend you, um, those listening, to pick up a copy of that if they're dealing with hot flashes and um, trouble sleeping uh, and need a boost in energy, that the book is a great um, way to kind of address all of those hormonal issues. Um, but I for those listening that are trying to conceive or maybe younger and not really worried about menopause, um, you know, stick with us today because we've got, you know, a lot of information. And I know that there's one thing that you address in your book and that's about hormones and mental health. And women with PCOS are 60% more likely to suffer from some mood related disorder. And, I would love for you to talk a little bit about moods and hormones um, 
and how they're connected. Yes, absolutely. And definitely just to align women who have had issues with PCOS and infertility way pre-menopause, believe me, the changes you make now are going to help you in so many ways. And so when we talk about just in our hormones, as our hormones are changing in general, you know, one of the things that was part of my story was that at 39, I was diagnosed with, you know, premature ovarian failure. So I now call primary ovarian failure and um, early menopause. And I went through round after round of infertility cycle, failing the highest doses of allowable injectable medications. And, I, and here I was, a Emory University trained gynecologist and obstetrician. I trained at one of the best universities in our um, nation. And yet my doctor's bag was empty. I didn't have anything in there to help me, Amy. And so that literally took me on a journey around the world looking for answers. And as a result, I reversed infertility and became reversed early menopause and became pregnant and had a beautiful baby girl at age 41. And it was, you know, so it is something that I really want to just start by saying, if you have hope, if this is something that you hope for, and, and regardless, you believe in yourself that you can have a healthier body tomorrow than you do today, you absolutely can. Our body is amazing, amazing. It has such capacity to heal itself, to regenerate, and to restore, and repair, and just revitalize. And so wherever you are on your journey, that these tips that I've, I've learned um, from my journey, my own personal journey, and then working with tens of thousands of patients um, can really, can really help. So now, Amy, I forgot your question. <laughs> oh, well, I, I just um, thank you for sharing that story. You know, I do like to start out with people's stories. And so many women with PCOS have been told by their doctors that because they have PCOS, they will not get pregnant. I mean, they go so far as saying that, or it's going to be very difficult for them to get pregnant. And I loved what you said about, you know, trusting in your body and, and keeping that hope alive because... Uh, so many women with PCOS can have healthy pregnancies. And myself, I had my last child when I was 37. Um, and, you know, you had yours and at 41. A lot of women can maintain their, their fertility, you know, later in their reproductive years. Absolutely, absolutely. And it stems from a complex set of interactions, right? If we are way too stressed and, and that can, and infertility will stress us out, right? Just mm -hmm. trying to get pregnant and not getting pregnant on our schedule will stress us out. But I have helped and I have seen and, and know many women that have reversed these issues. And when we empower our body based on our genetics and our environment, we call that epigenetics, we empower our body, we can restore. And especially when it comes to, you know, PCOS community, the big thing right now is really becoming more insulin sensitive. This mm -hmm. is something, Amy, I'm going to backtrack a second again. <laughs> We're oh, going sure. to have some circuitous conversation, mm -hmm. I can just tell. But I'm really passionate because many people get labeled PCOS, right? And so what does that tell them? It tells them, well, you're more likely to be overweight, have all these conditions of aging, have struggled with infertility. I mean, it's just like a doomsday diagnosis, right? Because in our modern world, we're living with the sad standard American diet in a indoor culture and not really empowering our genetics in any way. 
And so what I would tell my clients, especially my young girls that would come in early on that um, certainly could be set up for PCOS, they come in and they're in puberty and they're, all of a sudden they're gaining weight, getting acne, um, having some hair growth, you know, and um, even facial hair growth and, and are really struggling, coming in, struggling with a sense of self-image, right? And that's when I would sit these young girls down in their young pubertal years, teenage years, and say, you, you have the genes of Pocahontas. You have the mm-hmm. genes of a warrior woman, an Amazonian. You have survival genes. You're struggling because you're sitting in a classroom eight hours a day and watching TV three hours a night, right? Or whatever the situation may be. Or, you know, you're struggling because you're living in, in a toxic world, but you are designed to live in a natural world and empower your genes. So these are some things that, you know, you definitely have to say no to early on. And when you talk to, I have found that when you talk to these young girls in this way, look, you have Pocahontas genes, you have Amazonian genes, you are designed to be a leader of our community because typically what you have higher testosterone levels, right? You can stand longer periods of starvation. We tend to be more insulin resistant and, um, and, and, you know, just intelligent, natural born leaders. And so, and form more muscle. I had one girl come to me and she's in her thirties and she said, you know, I've been struggling with this body image all my life. I built muscle so fast and, and would be criticized from it. And I shifted that thought. I said, because you are a warrior princess, you are designed to be, you know, in the field, running, active. I mean, just get the image of Pocahontas, right? And Amazonian warriors or Wonder Woman. I mean, those are, that's a really great genetic profile to have in different circumstances. So how do we enhance that where you are now? So there are a few no-nos, and it it all comes into being in the keto green way, which I discovered as part of my journey is is essentials, getting alkaline, alkaline foods, getting out in nature, creating an alkaline mindset, so a oxytocin-driven mindset, a positive, grateful, appreciative mindset in addition to what we eat is hugely impactful, and then getting into ketosis on a regular basis, doing intermittent fasting. Those of us with PCOS, women with PCOS are absolutely designed to intermittent fast. Absolutely. It's part of our survival genetics. And when we do this, within weeks, we have regular cycles. We have an improvement in our skin condition. We have just intense energy, weight loss, and just feel so much at home in our bodies than we ever did before. And I call that getting the keto green way. But with my young girls, always no dairy, forget it, no dairy, just cut it out completely. We have plenty of our own hormones. We don't need to be drinking in any animal hormones for milk, for sure. And secondly, um, you know, we have to take away all the sugar. And now I'm in South Georgia. I mean, we had this conversation. I live on St. Simon's Island. So in South Georgia, sweet tea is a really big Mm -hmm. issue. (laughs) And so switching from sweet tea to half and half to unsweet tea can be a challenge for these young girls. But it is necessary and essential. It is necessary and essential. So those are just a couple really big changes that move the needle in such dynamic ways. 
Yeah, and I want to dig uh, deeper on a couple of those, um, but I, I just want to thank you for framing PCOS in the way that you do with those young girls, because that is just so empowering. Um, and, you know, I had just, it took me until I was 30 to come up with this idea that, you know, I really am a powerful, you know, that's why I called it PCOS diva, this powerful woman, because of the PCOS and that higher androgen status. And you had mentioned that women with PCOS make um, good leaders. And we're actually, we, um, with that higher androgen status, we're more uh, risk takers as well. Um, and, you know, I think we make great entrepreneurs, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, but so I appreciate that. Um, I want to just back up to, uh, you talked about alkalinity and for listeners that haven't really heard that term, um, can you sort of give us a little one-on-one about what, what does that mean? Yes, it's one of my favorite topics. Alkalinity is so important, Amy. And um, first, let me just commend you because PCOS Diva, when I saw that t- I don't like, yes, she gets it, right? She gets it. She knows she's an empowered, genetic, survival, you know, powerful, powerful woman. And so, and I love that. And that's what we need to embrace, our power. We've given away our power to medicines, to media, to pharmacies. I mean, just insurance companies, we can't. We have to take back our power. So, you know, just a shout out on that because I do love that. Claiming our power is huge. And, um, and this comes to alkalinity and alkalinity. And I always say, we look at the continuum. We're talking about pH. Now I'm not talking about our blood pH. Our blood pH will stay slightly alkaline and in sacrifice of everything else of our body to maintain homeostasis. And so our blood pH stays pretty close, pretty tightly around 7.4, a little bit higher, a little bit lower. And we are really, really sick. And, um, and that's something that our body will rob Peter to pay Paul to keep that pH stable, which makes sense, right? That's our survival. And we're talking about arterial blood, not even venous blood, arterial blood. So straight from the heart, basically straight from the lungs. And we typically check a radial artery blood gas when we're looking at blood pH. But our body has different pH levels all over. Our skin's slightly acidic, makes sense to prevent bacterial invasion. Um, our, you know, vagina, slightly acidic, well, quite acidic, actually, with a pH of three to four, quite acidic to also keep invaders away, right? So that's um, really, that's part of safety. Our urine pH is almost like our thermostat, uh, uh, you know, how we would measure our temperature, actually. So, um, so our urine pH is like a thermometer. How well are we doing? How, you know, are we sick? Are we healthy? And so what we want to see is a slightly alkaline urine pH. And when I talk about alkalinity, we talk about above seven, seven is neutral, seven to 14 is alkaline on the alkaline scale, seven to zero is on the acidic scale. For example, our stomach pH is zero to three, very acidic. And, and so that's the scale. Another way I like to think about it, think of acidity in a lifestyle approach, like think of acidity, like a city, like New York City, industrial, high paced, very fast, very exciting, all this great stuff, but too much, too long can really pull you down, right? Mm -hmm. And alkalinity, consider alkalinity like the Amazon jungle. Think of a forest. Think of being out in nature. Think of a waterfall in the background or listening to the waves crash on the beach in a gentle roll. 
And that is that feeling, that sensation of alkalinity, more of an alkaline environment. When we're out in nature, when we are in meditation, when we are in prayer, we shift to a more alkaline physiology. How are we doing this? We do this by really affecting hormones that affect our pH. So cortisol, like New York City, very acidic hormone. And um, oxytocin, like the, you know, being out in in the forest or listening to a waterfall, that is very alkalinizing. Oxytocin is the most alkalinizing hormone in our body. So, you know, when we think of um, cultures that have survived in war-torn times and times of devastation, the activities that that they do that have been associated with longevity and a happier, healthier quality of life all increase oxytocin. So if it's healthy marriages and it's celebrations, having, you know, celebrating birthdays and weddings and traditional cultures have made a really big deal out of these celebrations. You celebrate everything. And, um, and that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, you're loved and appreciated and you feel that and you're part of a bigger picture community. All of that empowers oxytocin. Now, I didn't even mention foods, did I? <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> so with foods, when we think about like in the keto green, many of our keto foods are acidic, mm-hmm. including our meats and, and cheeses. I don't do cheese. So in my keto green 16, as well as my hormone fix, the recipes are prepared without dairy because I'm dairy sensitive. And so no, no dairy, no, gla- no grain, no sugar. And, um, these are pretty powerful in this way, but, um, you know, I always recommend removing them from your diet, even, you know, healthy, beautiful, amazing cheeses for a certain period of time and just see how your body reacts when you reintroduce foods, because it is a common food sensitivity. Anyway, so keto greens and many of the keto foods and wine and coffee are all acidic. So you have to balance that out with alkaline foods. So plant-based foods, you know, and your herbs and spices, all the micronutrients that you can pull in, those are all quite alkalinizing and have additional anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, antiviral, antibacterial effects on our body. So using herbs and spices in our cooking can make a really, you know, big difference, a beautiful difference. So how do we know that we are alkalinized? Do, do you recommend testing? Mm. I love testing. I am so, I'm a big fan. Test, don't gas. What gets measured gets managed. These are really crucial. And I have to tell you a story because we're in the Southeast and we're entering hurricane season, just coming out of the quarantine, entering hurricane season. But in the last few years, we had a couple major hurricanes that affected me quite uh, quite a lot. And one of them, I had to move actually five times. My The townhouse I was renting got basically demolished, flooded, top down. And so um, I ended up having to move five times, Amy. And so in that five times, I was in just sweatpants. I don't know what happened to the scale, but like two months later, I was a good 15 pounds heavier. And I was like, what? What happened here? Because you couldn't tell because I was in stretch pants the whole time. (laughs) So, So what gets measured gets managed. So, you know, checking your weight. Now, many people have different philosophies around it and you don't have to. It can be obsessive. So if it doesn't feel right for you, if it feels like it works against you, 
then let it go. And for me, it's definitely one of the checks and balances that I need. The second thing is urine testing for alkalinity and acidity. And this is a really big thing. When we talk about being alkaline versus acidic, I have clients check their urine pH because like I said, it is a thermometer for how well we're doing. And in waking up right now, we have the huge keto green community on Facebook and um, running a private challenge group, Keto Green 16 challenge group. So everyone in that group has the urine test strips. So as part of their um, buy-in to the group and the urine test strips measure the pH and ketones. So it's lovely to see right now, you know, just how people are different and how people are learning to test and measure and making discoveries. So urine pH should be over seven when we wake up in the morning and over seven when we go to bed at night. So ideally averaging 7, 7.5, you know, and, and really work on, on getting there because it does make a difference. And honestly, when I first went keto and I started testing my urine pH, I was at a urine pH of five. Well, it could have been lower, but that's as low as the test strips would read. That's how acidic my body had gotten. And it was staying there. It was stuck there. And I really, that was a huge aha moment for me, recognizing the path, what I needed to do to improve my process right now. Because in this alkaline, in this acidic nature, I was irritable. I felt like I was hitting a wall. I didn't like how I was on edge and moody, and we call it going keto crazy or keto cranky. And that's a, that's a, that's a true thing, y'all. That is a true thing. <laughs> and so um, it was really, it was really eye-opening. That was a huge aha moment when I discovered that because as a functional medicine physician and doing detox for hormone balancing for my patients, I would always have them check their urine pH. Now we can check urine pH, get pH paper at any store, any pharmacy, and um, just start checking and see where you're at. I created your pH and ketone strips called keto pH test strips. And that measures both ketones and pH on the same test strip. So it kind of helps you see when we shift into ketosis, even if we've been alkaline every single day, many women will experience that shift into acidity. So um, that, you know, just shifting from that makes a big difference. And I think it's really satisfying to see that the choices that you make in your diet really are making an impact and a difference when you do testing like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the lifestyle choices, like I had a client, she was stressed out about work every day. And she said, you know, I was just checking, 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 and I was eating, following the plan, and I was still struggling getting alkaline. She goes, then I had Friday night out with the girls. We had wine, and we laughed and sang and danced, and I woke up so alkaline the next morning, she said. She's like, I had a pH of eight. I'm like, yes, that's the power of oxytocin. So it goes beyond what we, when we're stressed, we, we really, we really have to master, we really have to master and empower oxytocin. And you also had a really interesting story in your book, Keto Green 16, um, where you talk about monitoring your blood sugar um, with like an at-home device. And that's something that I talked about in, in my book as well. It was really, really integral into, for me, figuring out what foods were doing to my body. Um, and it sounds like it was for you too. And but maybe you could just tell us the the what beyond food you were noticing that was impacting your blood sugar in a positive way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Beyond food was stress. Beyond food was stress. Dehydration, difficulty sleeping, you know, uh, uh, you know. And you were saying, and and meditation, um, when you meditated in the morning, your blood sugar was lower. Um, Oh, yeah. So what one thing with the continuous blood sugar monitoring, and I'm actually wearing one again right now as I go through this round of 16 days with all my daughters doing it with me. Um, one thing that I uh, noticed is that when I got up in the morning and I uh, had coffee, my blood sugar went up 20 to 30 points, even though technically coffee you know, doesn't necessarily, you'll say, well, yeah, you can have coffee and it's not breaking your fast. And, and it may not be, but if it raised my blood sugar 20 to 30, it was an aha moment for me. Cause like, okay, your adrenals are fragile. It's your caffeine's pushing up your cortisol and pushing out glucose and hence very quickly that was raising my blood sugar. But when I woke up before, and now this is my practice, before I get out of bed, I take, before I even open my eyes, I often just start doing this gratitude practice. Like where, where did I see love yesterday? What am I so grateful for yesterday? And I always ask like, where could I have laughed at myself more? Because I'm very serious. And so where could I have laughed more or laughed at myself more or lightened up, you know, and that helps me focus so that I can be lighter in other, other situations. So I like to do that um, and really focus on where I felt loved and, and where I gave loved. And it's a, it's a checks and balances. And when I do that, my blood sugar stays stable. And, um, and that's really nice. So there's a couple things that I found through continuous blood sugar monitoring as well um, as checking urine pH and ketones is you know, those thoughts and stresses, how that can affect my blood sugar. And I, you know, prior to this, I keynoted for a conference and um, you know, I'm always very nervous before I speak and my blood, my blood glucose went up to 150 and stayed there for 30 minutes. Oh my I gosh. Was fasting. I was fasting. My fasting level stays below 80. Isn't that amazing? That's just, just from stress, just from worry. And another thing that's, you know, really fascinating is intense workouts can raise your blood sugar too, raise your sugar as well, which makes sense because we, we need to feed the muscle. And so we'll use up residual glycogen stores. And that's pretty cool. It's really amazing. So maybe could you tell our listeners what device you, you like to use? Yeah. So for continuous blood glucose monitoring, I'm using the Freestyle Libre. It's by Abbott Labs. You do need a prescription for it. It really should be over the counter, but currently you do you need a prescription for it. And as long as you have a smartphone, I believe it's a, you know, um, you know, one of the more recent models within the last few years, you can um, just download the app. You don't need to buy the separate monitor, which is usually 80 to a hundred dollars, but a whole month, like each monitor lasts two weeks. And so for 14 days, exactly. And at the end of, uh, and each one costs about $40 cash pay, you know, not expensive at all. It's a worth it to get the information. Yeah, so that you can make those empowered choices. And you mm-hmm. know, um, and like I said, it's so satisfying to know that what you're doing is actually making a, a real difference. Um, yeah, and then seeing what's sabotaging you. Because some, like, another eye-opening thing is, is someone recognized that, you know, she was putting fruits in her smoothie and thought, okay, well, they're low glycemic fruit, but they still raised her you know, they still raised her um, sugar, her blood sugar quite significantly. And so just eye opening, 
you know, she was able to reduce it and go to a more stable amount or, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's eye opening. And the other thing too, is when we want to stabilize blood sugar, it's interesting. And this is fun because I look at how we combine our meals. So the same thing with our coffee, like if we're having coffee in the morning or tea, you know, if we add some of the healthy fats like MCT oil or purified ghee, that can mm -hmm. help keep that, you know, glucose a bit more stable. But for me, my glucose still goes up. So I don't have my coffee till later in the day now because <laughs> I love my coffee. I know. And, you know, when you were talking about sweet tea, um, up here, up north, where I am in New Hampshire, it's iced coffee. Um, and, you know, you can't have iced coffee without cream and sugar. Um, so yeah, that that's, you got to watch those beverages as well. Exactly. Um, so if you, you mentioned intermittent fasting, and we've, we've done a lot on this podcast about intermittent fasting, because it, it really is so helpful for mm -hmm. women who are struggling with insulin resistance. Um, I know that in your program, you recommend the, the 16 um, hour fast, but somebody who's just start like dipping their toe in to fasting, how do you recommend that they start out? Yes, definitely. I recommend that you start like just with 12 hour fast and then work to 13, 14, 15, 16. And you can do it in my book, Keto Green 16. I have a beginner, intermediate and an advanced plan. So you kind of follow where you are on that plan. And this is this is a really important point. You want to start where you're at and gradually increase because otherwise, you know, we're going to experience some negative side effects, more of the keto flu type symptoms, more of the withdrawal symptoms. And there's no need to just in a few days we'll be there. So I typically say, you know, first things first, always a healthy morning starts with a good night. So make sure your evening meal and in fact, um, for us starting in our Keto Green communities, it was day one yesterday with Keto Green 16 um, plan in my book. And the evening was a harvest beef stew. So it had kale and beef and um, some other vegetables in there and a beautiful broth. It was really easy to prepare and then drizzled with olive oil on top to add some additional healthy fat. And that's a nice, stable evening meal. And then drink very little before you go to bed so you're not diluting your digestive enzymes so your food digests completely. And then you, um, you know, in the morning when you wake up, hydrate. Put a bottle of water, a glass of water next to your bed. And when you wake up in the morning, drink that tall glass of water, alkaline water. You can put a squirt of lemon juice in it. But hydrate when you get up in the morning so that you are flushing out toxins. And also that will help, you know, because thirst is often imitated as hunger. So that will help you start to... Um, be able to fast longer. You're like, okay, well, your body's satisfied. It's no longer dehydrated. You're not going to be reaching for what's in the fridge right now because you're you're nurtured and your body does it still has plenty of circulating reserve of glucose. So it's good. And that that kind of sends back that message. And also if you need to adding a little bit of oil or um, coconut oil or MCT oil or um, ghee purified butter into your morning tea or coffee. And if you blend it, it gives you a creaminess. I promise you will not miss creamer or milk or any mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And so, but blend a little bit of that in there and you can add some cinnamon. I did this morning to mine, cinnamon and cardamom are my two favorite spices. 
uh, for my morning tea and um, and blend that up with some MCT oil. It makes it nice and creamy and that will keep you longer and just work up to it like any exercise. It is, you work into it. It is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so take, take your time, listen to your body and just keep making the next right step. So do you find that, that women who are, have adrenal issues, um, you know, do they do well on your, your plan, um, the Keto Green 16? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This, this whole a myth that the adrenal, like women with adrenal hypofunction, um, low cortisol, that they have to snack, right? That they have to snack. Like, where did that come from? Show me the science based on that. Because, you know, myself and women in my community that have been snackers for a long time, once they stop snacking, they are a thousand percent better, a thousand percent better. So again, like any muscle, it takes some exercise, it takes some work and time to break some habits but your body doesn't need that snack. And when we're nourishing ourselves with plenty of the minerals, plenty of the healthy foods, then we shift to a better, a better physiology, a better metabolic rate too. Mm -hmm. So I guess in a nutshell, could you just um, describe the plan? Um, And then of course, you know, I want you to give information on how you get the book and more information about your programs. Um, But for those that are sort of intrigued, you could just sort of like, what would a day look like in terms of food? Oh, absolutely. So for example, for, um, and you know, the morning we typically will just have tea and then we break fast around 10 or 11 a.m. because we'll have dinner by 6 or 7 p.m. So that's the goal for me and my lifestyle. And so I'll just share with you my yesterday was um, I, uh, you know, had my tea with some MCT in it, blended that up um, around and went for a walk around 10 to 11. I broke fast with my curry chicken skillet and um, just some sauteed chicken that I made for all the girls. And then we had the harvest beef stew for evening. I did have a in-between keto green shake made with my keto green protein meal replacement powder, as well as a scoop or two of Mighty Maca. And I added that into my regimen to also help support detox and um, support you know, physiology, as well as getting adequate protein for the day. So that broke fast. And typically, it's two meals a day that I typically will have. And sometimes the keto green um, shake in between. And, and, and you feel uh, satisfied? I mean, you don't find that women, like, I, I feel like for myself, um, I would really miss those grains. You won't. You really won't. Once you break that habit, you really, really won't. Um, I'm telling, you know, it's even now, I mean, it does, it takes practice because I, I mean, I was a vegetarian for, I don't know, over 12 years and I could, I will say, you know, if I could have salad and dessert, I was fine, right? Bread and butter, salad and dessert. And, um, and it was really a, a big staple, especially as a poor college student, a poor med student, you know, grains are inexpensive. And, um, and so breaking those, breaking those habits was the best thing that I could do. And definitely breaking dairy was one of the best things that I could ever have done for my body. And I, and I shout that out because I see so many 
kids and I had suffered with ear infections and congestion and, you know, a, a long time mouth breather just because I was always stuffed, stuffed up. When you switch that and that improves, like I can tell if something has dairy in it, all of my ear will start to have fluid in it right away. And, it, and yeah. I'm like, oh, that definitely had dairy in it or definitely a food sensitivity. It's very fascinating. Your body will tell you once you completely abandon the foods that have been sensitizers. So with grains, for the most part, getting rid of grains is a huge win for all of us. And especially those who are more inclined for insulin resistance, right? Those are storage foods for times of famine. But so do you think that women who have sort of that thin phenotype of PCOS that aren't trying to lose weight, would it be like enough um, to sustain them without dropping more weight? Absolutely. You're going to maintain your muscle. You will maintain your muscle and lose, you know, if there is excess body fat anywhere, you'll lose it. But, um, and, and often people get, I've not, never had anyone too thin. And I have some like older clients too, that are in that, you know, under that underweight category, but they feel better than ever. They feel better than ever. They're stronger. They work out harder. And, um, and I'm just thinking in particular of a woman, I think she's uh, in her late sixties, early seventies, and she is gardening and just more alive, she says, than she has felt mm. in a decade. And she, you know, she lost um, 20 pounds that put her slightly under an ideal weight range, but it's perfect for her. So I think it really depends. I haven't really, and I have fitness trainers, Pilates teachers, and, you know, physicians and coaches and all from all different realms. And I've never had the compliment, the, I've never heard, not yet, that I've lost too much weight. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Well, tell us where you can find your book and, and more information about your, your work. Yeah, thank you. So um, I have actually seven amazing book bonuses to go with my book too, Amy. That includes Feast Recipes that has my famous chocolate avocado mousse that tastes better than any chocolate pudding, I promise y'all. Key lime pie and a carrot cake recipe that follow my keto green principles. And so they're dairy-free, grain-free. You'll love them. And so you get that bonus feast recipes and the quick start guide. And um, what else do you get? You get uh, another extra meal plans and all of these that you can find by going to the page dranna.com, like drana, D-R-A-N-N-A.com forward slash keto green, K-E-T-O green, keto green. And you'll get those um, seven bonuses. It t- books, Keto Green 16 is available anywhere books are sold. Barnes & Noble, your local book retailer, they will get it for you and do curbside pickup if you need to. Amazon, of course, and definitely appreciate your reviews on there. And, um, and, and then definitely find me on my Keto Green community on Facebook. And, and you are on social media at, um, what's at your hashtag? At Dr. Anna C on uh, Facebook and Dr. Anna Quebec on Instagram. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Your book is beautiful. You have some beautiful pictures that go along with, I think, over 50 recipes. Um, And I can't wait to try them out. I know I was telling you beforehand that uh, I want my my husband to to get with the program, and I'm going to be cooking some of these recipes very soon. 
Um, so thank you for coming on and, and thank you everyone for listening. And I look forward to being with you again very soon. that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.